episode 317 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, March 8th, and we've been gone way too long. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going out in Arizona? It's great. The weather is really nice. Uh, just here at Cubs camp, where not only did was there a DJ for the beginning stretch session, but then a live guitarist came out and played... Uh, uh, highway to hell Dang. while uh while we while they were stretching and it was you know nice spring arizona day it was very bizarre and uh then some guy came out dressed as elvis and uh <laughs> led the stretch and uh so i guess that's what joe madden does i that's like a, it that's a joe madden he's keeping it loose man that that <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that that that's a good setup there sounds like you're having a blast i've been following your exploits via twitter Got a lot going on. I know you got uh, you just finished Labor, AL Labor. We're going to talk a lot about that today. You've got Tout Mixed tonight. We're going to hit on that a little bit. But we've also got some news. So it's going to be a jam-packed episode. We might touch on some things that you've seen in spring. But for the most part, we're going to focus on that Friday. You've been to several camps. Uh, we're going to get some tidbits and notes and just little bits that you're getting from everything that you're going visiting all these camps but today we have to start with news because we got some big news and we got our first really huge casualty honestly it's kind of a toss-up who you think's bigger i'd probably say johnny peralta but two guys have gone down johnny peralta with a thumb injury going to be out two to three months and carter caps's season is done let's start with peralta you know this is a big hit to the already weak shortstop pool in the national league and uh, it's going to really hurt this Cardinals team that's fighting tooth and nail with the with the Pirates and the Cubs. They can't afford to lose their shortstop. They have no one to really back up, except now they're going to have Jed Jerko as a full-timer. What would you think of the Johnny Peralta injury? You know, he's kind of one of those guys that's just underrated and unexciting uh, to most every given every year. And, you know, I bet a lot of people had him as their backup plans and, you know, sort of 15-teamers and mi plans so you know to have to move to a guy like jed jerko who is on the second page of shortstops when you do the auction calculator <laughs> uh you know you're kind of you're, you're losing a weapon there and uh it's it's too bad for the for the cardinals and and for us that we have to watch more jed jerko right and uh too bad for eric carabo who was in the nl version of the uh labor auction that uh, you guys took place in saturday and sunday evenings he had him for 15 bucks however he is well prepared uh inadvertently of course because he had no idea about this injury he has brandon crawford in his shortstop position but addison russell in his utility so he was drowning the pool already and he can just move russell into that middle and then get a waiver fill and it's still a, a pain you can never really lose a 15 dollar uh, player in a 12 team only league and feel good about it but at least he's not dipping into the pathetic waiver pool of nl shortstops and hey I've fallen in love with Addison Russell since the very first time I interviewed him at the Arizona Fall League about three, four years ago. And today I fell in love with him even more because I just talked to him in Cubs camp. And I asked him about what it was like last year to adjust to the major leagues. And I asked him about, well, you know, in the minor leagues, every time you hit a new level, you kind of struck out a little bit much. And then um, you, you, you got on top of it and improved your strikeout rate. So I asked him about that, if that's sort of what described what happened last year. And he said, totally. He said, in high A, the first time I ever saw a sinker and a cutter, I said, what, what are these? They move so much. I got to deal with this. Uh, so he said once he figured out, you know, once he saw that movement enough, he knew how to react to it. 
he he could you know impress. And he said that you know second half IA and and then after that he did well. And he and I said well in a similar fashion this this last year you stopped swinging at pitches that were in off the plate and down down off the plate. You know what was that about? Was that them attacking you in those certain places or were you trying to be aggressive? What happened there? And he said they saw holes. Mm-hmm. They saw a hole on my hands and they saw a hole down low and really. I'm trying to see it up. I'm trying to see it out over the plate. What, I'm, what I've done now, the adjustment I've made is I'm not going to swing at those pitches. So I actually think this is going to be a really good year for Addison Russell. I think he's going to be better than his projections. I'm going to give him like a 7% walk rate and a 19 to 20% strikeout rate, uh, give him like a 160, 170 ISO. That's going to translate to something like 270 with you know 18 to 20 homers in I think that's going to replace everything that Johnny Peralta was going to do anyway. Yeah, I think I've made my love for Addison Russell known, and it's it's just being increased by the reports that uh, that we're getting from you out of spring. I know you saw him hit a homer. Now you've talked with Addison Russell. He's my prediction of this year's uh, Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado in terms of March, uh, the the March surge up the boards to the point where uh, he's going to be an easy single-digit guy, single-digit round guy by the by, by the time we're getting into the uh, back end of the month and those April 3rd drafts, which is probably that last Sunday that you can really get a good draft in before the season. I know there's three games that day. Um, I think Addison Russell is, is going to cost a, a pretty penny, but I'll tell you what, I really think he's going to come through on it. So I've been snapping him up everywhere I can. Hopefully you get him tonight in, in the uh, uh, tout mixed as well. I'm so high on this guy. All right, let's move on to the Carter Caps injury. This one's a total bummer. Speaking of drafts that have already happened, uh, I did get Addison Russell in labor mix, but I also got Carter Caps with uh, on our Jason Collette team. That's a big hit for us because even if he didn't get the closers role, we were expecting a, a Dylan Batances kind of performance to really bridge the gap between our, our ace, Carlos Carrasco, and our second pitcher, Marcus Stroman, who has the uh, capability to put up the ratios of a number two and even a, a number one, but he doesn't have that strikeout rate. So you filter a little bit of Caps' strikeouts over to Stroman and you kind of smush it together and it looks pretty great. Well, that's no more. So uh, obviously this skyrockets the value of A.J. Ramos, at least in my opinion, uh, because not only was Caps the primary co- competition, but there's nothing now. It's Ramos or, or, or Burn. Uh, it really stings the Marlins, I think, too. Again, we're talking them up as, as we seem to do every offseason, and this is a big hit for them. What do you think of the Carter Caps injury? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They uh, they said that uh, I, I was talking to a pitcher recently that said that guy cheats. <laughs> so I, that's I don't hilarious. Think that, I don't think that um, uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of players at least, a lot of other pitchers that are necessarily crying for Carter Caps today. But uh, it, you know, as as fancy players, we we don't really care about those things. No, so until, we, until it's we can just be sad. We don't care. Yeah, but uh, you know, I. I love watching him pitch. I think that's going to be sad that he's not going to pitch. And at the same time, A.J. Ramos has the second-best changeup in baseball. And, uh, and it's, you know he's got some things going for himself, too. So I think this, this cements him, gives him a lot more leash. Guys like Mike Dunn and Brian Morris and Edwin Jackson are not going to take his job, I don't think. No. Unless Edwin Jackson takes a real step forward Something in his second, second year in the bullpen. Mike Dunn is a lefty that can't really command it. Brian Morris is more of a sinker baller. 
that doesn't get the strikeouts you expect from a closer. So I think AJ Ramos, I think becomes a really good bet for this year. And yep. I don't know. There's there's a there's an ominous little health button next to him. Oh, a calf. He is yet to appear, but that doesn't seem like such a big deal. I think you bump AJ Ramos up a couple dollars now. I really agree with you, especially in an NL only where that pool was pretty thin. It was kind of Jansen and then a big jump down to like Melanson and Familia, whoever you feel about. I really think Ramos is in that kind of tier. I think he, I haven't done my re-rank yet because we're, we're releasing our new updates and I haven't done my uh, RPs yet, but I think Ramos is really going to be pushing near the top 10. I think he's got the stuff to be a total stud closer. Last move to talk about is Pedro Alvarez signs with Baltimore. And, uh, you know, obviously this this kind of muddies up their defense by making Mark Trumbo be a full-time outfielder. Um, you know, Chris Davis probably going to play first, and Pedro Alvarez will DH. We're not as concerned about the defensive ramifications except for how they relate to maybe uh, increasing Trumbo's injury risk for having to run out in the outfield or something. But otherwise, <laughs> Pedro's not going to be the one out there. He gets to just DH, sit back, and, and smack dingers in Camden Yards. Do you like this move for, for Baltimore uh, scooping up Pedro Alvarez? Let's, by the way, uh, obvious disclaimers, he's probably going to sign somewhere else because he's going to have a hangnail during the physical but let's assume that Pedro Alvarez <laughs> signs with Baltimore and, and go with it. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good move by them. I, I'm kicking myself that I didn't find a way to get Pedro Alvarez on my team in labor. Uh, there was a, a definite undervaluing of DH onlys, and uh, a guy like him was just seemed headed for the American League. So I wish I, wish I had... Uh, I picked him up. The only thing that I do want to bring up, though, is that DHing, I'm pretty sure, is a skill. DHing, I agree. I agree. You see, like Adam LaRoche and other guys, there's some guys who cannot DH and, and cannot sort of keep that attention span going. And Pedro Alvarez, not known for his attention span, you know. So, in order to be a good DH, you really kind of have to be a top stepper in the dugout. You have to stay on top of what's happening in the game, how the pitcher is pitching other pitchers. You have to stay on top of who, what relief pitcher is going to come in to get you, because uh, none of that's happening for you in real time. You're not on the field. Exactly. You're not, you know, you're not taking throws. You're not talking to players on the field. So you have to kind of goose yourself and and make it happen. The uh, the thing I'm ha- am glad about though was that Nolan Reimold was projected for an unsight unsightly 400, <laughs> 500 plate appearances on our on our plate on our depth charts before because they just didn't have anybody else. To put in the role, you're not putting Henry Uratia into the role. No, you're not putting Joey, Joey Ricard in the role. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was I kept staring at Nolan Reimold on AL Labor Draft Day, saying, "God, is this guy a, is this guy going to stay healthy? Is this guy a value? Because the value sheet said he was worth like six, seven bucks. I could have had him for a buck because of the playing time. I, yeah, I'm sure. But I just didn't believe he could ever. I mean, he what has he topped out at? He topped out at. Let me see what he's topped out at. His most played appearances ever was 305. Oh, I was going to say 411, but 305 in 2011. You had to go back to 2009 to get over 400. Jeez. So, yeah, and you know, since then, uh, 2012, 69 played appearances, not nice. Not nice. 20, 2013, 140. 2014, 78. And he's in 195. Nolan Reimold is 32 years old, too. This is not a a, a late 20s guy that we're just trying to get on track. I mean, not waiting for him to break out. No, this is kind of the last (laughs) hurrah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose now he's the injury fill in for Trumbo. Mm -hmm. He's 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 the sort of backup plan for Hunsu Kim if he doesn't work out. And and uh, Hunsu Kim's uh, 0 for 17. They should probably uh, send him back to Korea, mm -hmm. no? Well, 
I would say that Hansu Kim is comfortably the worst of the three Koreans who's come over recently. So there is a little bit of risk there. there sure, but I'm not risk on all of them. I'm not but, sure no, that I'm, not, uh, I'm with you about the uh, yeah yeah. No, it's good that he's had 16 plate appearances. Uh, that's that's a lot of plate appearances. Yeah, just get get him some time. Let's let's give him a break. I I, I was mocking those who are overreacting to <laughs> 17 plate appearances. There is a there is one piece of news of breaking. Oh wait, we need the air the air horn breaking news. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> um, it, wait, no, this is sad, though. Uh, this is sad breaking oh. news, though. A sad air horn. <laughs> um, Aaron Alther is hurt. No! I've yes. been really liking him. No, I, I'm I'm legitimately it's bummed about that. Horn wrist sheath. No! So it's, a, it's an actual real thing now. Ah, oh, man. And that sounds... I, would, I don't know if that we have um, a prognosis for how long it'll be out, but a torn wrist sheath sounds like a couple months or so. I think that means Tyler Goodell, uh, Rule Fiver from uh, Tampa Bay, yep. might have a chance. Uh, his projections say he can hit for a tiny bit of power and, uh, and actually steal some bases. So that's a decent guy to pick up now, I think. And, um, you know, Odebel Herrera was safe anyway. And then you've got to sort of it – what, what it might mean is Cody Ash has a, has a real job. Well, You know, Bor- Borges and, jo- and Ash. That's and, what I was going to say was Borges. Uh, Left and right, and then Goodell is kind of the fourth outfielder. Well, he, by the way, here, here we don't have the uh, a sad reggaeton air horn, but I got this for for the uh, for the Altair injury. Just wait for it. Oh, hang on, I screwed it up because I didn't turn <laughs> up my my sound because I'm a clown. Here, let's try it again. No, I'm screwing it up. It's not working. <laughs> this is the worst YouTube ever. We're supposed to play the Price is Right horn. I hate my life. Anyway. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was supposed to play the, the losing sound for prices, right? Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, that's breaking news. That's a that that is a huge bummer, though. I know we're kind of maybe sound like we're making jokes about it, but I don't mind. I don't really go for pitching on bad teams necessarily. I mean, I'll, I'll get them if they've got good skills, but I do like to tap into the guys who are kind of guaranteed to be in the lineup on a bad club, especially if they're young. Or, or youngish, and and Altair is flat out young. He's 25 years old. He did some things last year at the end of the year. He was looking like a good couple dollar guy in an NL, probably a dollar guy, or or maybe two or three max in in a mixed league. And it looked like he was going to bat fifth and had a chance to do some damage. And now this is going to be a bummer. So bad breaking news, unfortunately. But anyway. Let's try to pep it back up and uh, hope he gets healthy and dive into your AL labor team, which we've hinted at a couple times. Oh yeah. Now we talked. That'll pep things up. We talked about <laughs> it on on Friday. Uh, you know, got got some ideas of of kind of what you were going for. Talked about the player pool. Before we dive in right away, just what was your snap judgment of your team? How did you feel coming when you stepped out of that room after eating some Papa John's and hanging out with the guys from SiriusXM? What was the uh, what was the feeling of the club when you first overviewed it? I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. I did enough fist pumps where I got and and I you know I said I said that I, I created a range of values based on two different kinds of of, uh, of auction calculator type stuff and that I so I had a range of values. Most of my guys are within the range of my two values, which I think is is a positive sign. That means I didn't overpay, quote unquote. And um, there were enough fist pumps in there that that mean to me that I have, you know, upside remaining. Um, that I that I felt pretty good about it. There were definite mistakes. I mean, just some real every auction. I mean, yeah. It, there's no way to get around the mistakes. I, I set the market on catchers. Matt Weeters 
for $17. I threw him for $17, and then every good catcher that I would have wanted, you know, with the money in hand, went after him. So Russell Martin, $15. Yeah, they were all and, two to three bucks lower as well. Yeah, and I Brian like Weeders, and, but that was a bummer. Yeah, that was a bummer. And, uh, you know, the projections, I think, actually have Weeders as the top or second catcher. So if he hits his projections, there's supposedly value in there. But, you know, Ryan McCann's really solid. And for 15 bucks, I could have had two more bucks in hand. That would have been useful. Um, if that's your only mistake, though. I was going to say that. Yeah. It, the, the, and I, so the other mistake that I, that I, that I, that is a mistake, but is, doesn't feel that sad. You know, so I would have liked to have Drew Hutchinson. Uh, Mike, Matt, Matt, Matt Moore went for three bucks, I think, and Drew Hutchinson went for three bucks. So I would have rather have Matt Moore than Drew Hutchinson. Sure. So I guess you could call that a mistake, but that's that's the kind of mistake that just happens in drafts. I mean, you you don't you can't plan who's going to be what and who's going to cost what and when who gets thrown. So you just exactly. you get the guys you want, and so that doesn't that's not one that hurts me. And then the other one is that I got Chris Calabella for eight dollars. And really, I could have gotten him for three or four. So it does represent money left on the table. However, the reason why that money left on was left on the table was because I had more money budgeted for Michael Saunders, Sam Dyson, and Chris Bassett. Now, it's not a lot more money. I got Chris Bassett for a dollar, and I had $2 budgeted for him. I got Sam Dyson for two, and I had $5 budgeted mm-hmm. for him. So that's right there. I told you you get a discount on Dyson because everyone else thinks it's Kayla or... Um... Who else am I thinking of? Maybe Wilhelmson or something. But I, you know, or Tolleson. is the main guy, but then even right. people don't necessarily see Dyson as the backup. But Dyson was the guy in the in the playoffs. I'm with you. I get it. He's got and, the velocity. He was so filthy the, for them. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a chance that he's you know he finishes spring as the closer. So I was very happy to get him, and I had five dollars budgeted for him. And if you got, you know, there's this weird dance with the relievers where you don't want to spend too much, you don't want to lock in your relievers too early, but at the same time. You know, you you have a couple of dollars budget to them. If they don't go to that player, then where do you put them? Exactly. So I was kind of, so I realized I was the first one done because what happened was as soon as I got Bassett and Dyson, I said, "Oh crap, I have one spot left. I have eight dollars. I better just look for the best player out there, and and just go get them." Let me so, let me tell you, I like that best player that you got a little bit, and I know it's not a great price at eight bucks, but it, like you said, it represents your extra bucks. You just didn't want to leave money on the table. I get that Chris Colabello had a 4.11 BABIP, and that's not happening again. But I'm not so sure that he's just going to fall off into nothingness either. I, I'm willing. I'm willing to believe Chris Colabello as like a, a a 110 WRC plus kind of player in that lineup with that team. That could be useful. I, am I am I crazy? No, I don't think so at all. And you know, for me, I think in particular with Goes and Saunders on that team. I think it actually helps me to have Chris Colabello because if Goes and Saunders go down, Colabello is part of the solution behind them. Well, um, and, only for Saunders. Goes is under the Tigers now. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, no, I mean, he, yeah, he's protecting Saunders a little bit. And uh, and Saunders has some injury risk, but I needed some steals. So, you know, I, but I do think that Colabello plays a little bit in the outfield if, if Saunders gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then on top of that, I, I think that Justin Smoke sucks. <laughs> 
I think you've got some numbers to back that up. I'm not sure like that all uh, of them. there's a great case to, to go against you. Yeah, I, th- I think there's plenty to go to go with that uh, with that feeling. I mean, he just he hasn't gotten a done. And again, not quite as old as Reimold, but we're talking 29 here. If you're still waiting for that smoke train, man, you're going to be at the station for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, last year was his best year, really, uh, or second best year. He was seven percent over. So what you're saying, seven percent over league average uh, the, with the WRC plus. So basically, what you're saying is right. If Colabello regresses but is still ten percent over, then you know Smoke has to play a really good defense to really hold him off. And I just, you know, the defensive numbers are not good on Smoke, and the eye test doesn't really tell me that they're wrong. So. I, I, you know, smoke stumbles a little bit and Colabella can take that job from even as a right-hander, I think. All right. So let's dive deeper into your actual team. We've named, we've hit on some guys that you've done, by the way, let me, I'm going to start at the back end here though, and just say that I absolutely loved your bench. It's a, it's a six reserve draft and folks, it's a 12 team AL only. So you can imagine the names that are going here when uh, you've already auctioned 23 players to 12 teams in just the AL. And now you guys are drafting six guys. And yet you came away with some really strong guys. I thought I think Cam Bedrosian is not a bad bet. If, if something happens in LA uh, with that closer role, and he could also be one of those solid eighth inning guys with a bunch of K's. Ronan Elias is just kind of a solid guy. I feel, I feel like we've talked about him in the past. He's going to be with Boston. Well, Here's a one little thing. The, the quirks of the, the the quirks of how this uh, league works, I think, make Roynas Elias more interesting. Even if you've got a guy on the bench, you could, those guys that you draft as bench guys are the only guys that you can put back on your bench. Mm-hmm. So um, unless they've, the only way you can put somebody on your bench, otherwise if they're hurt or or, or sent, sent down. down. So um, Roynas Elias as a real life six starter, even if he does, if maybe he's a fifth starter, but even if he's a six starter, he's actually super useful because what can happen is when he's a fifth starter, I can put him in and use him. And then if he becomes a six starter, goes to the bullpen, well, not to the bullpen. No, actually to the bullpen even. Even if he goes to the bullpen, I can put him back down on my bench. But if he's back and forth between Pawtucket and Boston, <clears throat> you can just keep me. using him for the, especially if they're good starts. It comes up. Oh, yeah, he's in Seattle this week. He can be almost a streamer for me, exactly. depending on what happens with my relievers. Liam Hendricks is, you know, if Liam Hendricks isn't who I think he is, then he can become a, a slot where I shuttle Ruiz Elias in and take him out and look for a starter on the wire or look for a different reliever. So, hey, before we keep going on your team, how the heck did Mark Canha not get auctioned? Am I crazy for thinking that that guy's kind of decent? No, I, he was definitely on my radar. He was like my plan if I didn't have any money for that util slot. Ken Ha was going to be my Colabello. Is it just because I uh, more money elsewhere? One B well, in corner crowded. is 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 loaded. Well, yeah, corner is loaded for sure, and that's why I ended up with Byung Ho Park because I just didn't want to pay you know top notch prices for any of the first basemen mm-hmm. that were going. And we talked about this in the in the preview. There's just you know there's too many first basemen for me to, to to go to the toe, go to the wall for any of those guys. But then I think even even on top of that, the athletics depth chart. We talked about why there's there's opportunity there, but there's also a lot of risk. Sure. I mean, you know, Yonder Alonso, Mark Kanha, and Stephen Vogt can all play first base. Uh, and, and- Jed Lowry, Chris Chris Coughlin, um, and Eric Sogard can all play second base. 
Uh, third base, Danny Valencia, Jed Lowry, Chris Coughlin, and Eric Sogard, you know? I guess there's some worry. Corner outfield, you've got the same thing with Ken Ha. He can play a little bit there, but there's Chris Davis and Coughlin and Crisp and Fold. So it's just a crowded it's a crowded uh, situation. That, there. That's fair, and I guess there's some worry that Ken Ha goes to uh, – uh, becomes what he was supposed to become, which was just a lefty killer last year, and it turned out he yeah. actually didn't do that. So if he falls back to that, I guess I get it. But I saw a guy with 16 bombs – and seven stolen bases and 70 ribbies uh, going as a reserve in an AL only. I was like, okay, dang, you know, not, not a bad scoop there for, for the uh, Greg Ambrosius and Sean, Sean Childs NFBC team. Okay, now let's go ahead and go kind of by positional breakdown here. You already mentioned Matt Wieters. You backed him up with J.R. Murphy at five bucks. Really like his chances to kind of finally ouster uh, Kurt Suzuki. I know they like Kurt Suzuki kind of as, as a team player sort of deal, so I'm not sure that he's going to go away or anything about like that. But uh, I think Murphy could be on the 60 end of a 60-40 split, and for five bucks, that would work. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the projections are not um, aren't, aren't for... The projections have him worth $5, and the projections really don't have him... Um, you know, being too expensive or, or, or playing a ton. So they don't have say. a ton of playing time and they've already got him at five bucks. So if he adds playing time, he's even better. Yeah, the projections have him at 250 to 300 plate appearances. So I'm, so, I'm looking across. So what I'm just basically saying is he's a way better bat. The team seems to be talking nicely about him and he's projected to be better than Kurt Suzuki in less time. So I think they're just going to flip that. Instead of 400 for Suzuki and 200 for J.R. Murphy, I think it's going to be 400 for J.R. Murphy and 200 for Suzuki. Bingo. Let's talk about your first base corner trio. You already mentioned Byung-Ho Park. We already talked about Chris Colabello. But you added third baseman Todd Frazier with them at 27 bucks. I guess I should mention prices. Byung-Ho Park, 15. Colabello, 8. Todd Frazier, 27. Todd Frazier was uh, the chief among your big offensive purchases. You got one big outfielder to go with him. Uh, when I say big, I mean over 20 bucks. And then you got Rugnet Odor at flat 20. So Frazier's your cornerstone. I love it. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, you know, 27 bucks compared to Machado at 33. Uh, let's see, Donaldson 34, Kyle Seeger 25, Adrian Beltrade 20. So I thought Frazier was was very well priced. I could have seen him going higher. I think 27 is a, a really solid price to pay. I like your corner infielders there. I think you got stability with somebody like Frazier to kind of back up the the gamble of Park because obviously we don't know what he's going to be. Uh, we've got some confidence around him, but uh, your corner infielders they do what they're supposed to. You got the power, and even you got some of Frazier's speed if if the White Sox let him run. What happened was that I wouldn't go to thirty five on Mookie Betts. My values just had him as a thirty two, thirty three dollar player. And actually, I think I would have had to go to 36 to get Mookie Betts because he went for he 35. He would have, yes. And, and who's so, to say that, that, that Childs and Ambrosius stop at 36? I mean, they when they like guys, they like guys. They really so, do. You know, so I wasn't uh, – when I, when I was out on Mookie Betts, I lost my chance to buy a top player, I thought. Now, when Frazier came up, he was a perfect fit for my team because if you look up and down my team, the only sort of speed-only guy that I've got – I mean, I've got Jose Iglesias and anything that goes – but there is a whiff of of uncertainty about my steals total. Yeah, it's an accumulation and, team. 20 here, right. 10 there, 5 here. Right. So I was hoping what I really liked about Todd Frazier, as, as opposed to any of the other sort of $20 guys that were left, was that he could give me steals along with some power. And, you know, I got him for one over my range. 
I'm not. I I don't consider that really stretching. No. And then the Adam Jones pick was right in was right below my range. And what I think is similar about those two guys, which is weird to say because Todd Frazier had such a good last year, year last year. What I think is similar about those two guys is that they are mm, veterans. Yeah. That don't have the same. Uh, I mean, they don't have. They're not monkey bats. They don't have the same. They don't have the hype. They don't have the same. Let's just the sex call it what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that makes them, you know, a good bet to repeat their numbers. You know, they're not they're not veterans where they're thirty three either, where you're worried about them. I don't even the oldest guy I have, I think is is well Michael Saunders, but I got him cheap. So the oldest court, he's twenty nine. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know if I have a thirty year old. Let me see what Weeders is. No, I'm looking. I, no, I do not have a thirty year old. You got twenty nine year olds uh, for for your core. Like you said, your core guys, anybody that you paid fifteen or over for, is not. They're not super babies, so they've done something, and they're not super old. You got them right in that mid area, and like you said, with the Jones and Frazier kind of being unsexy, they go right at their price. You know, I don't think they're great actually- bargains, but they go at their price. It's a decent strategy. I mean, 29 is post-peak, right? Mm-hmm. However, it's not – if you look at aging curves, it's really the 32, 33-year-olds where you start to see the, the precipitous declines. 29 is just a little decline off. And any 29-year-old, really, there's just a – maybe Carlo Bello it represents the risky 29-year-old. But almost every other 29-year-old – and Byung-Ho Park a little bit, which we should talk about. But still, most 29-year-olds don't have as much risk as a 25-year-old, you know? just in terms of having established a, a, a level of value. So this isn't a very risky team. And yet, I think I bought enough upside I think here that that beyond it. I mean, I really like this team. I, I know that I went on Twitter and you know a couple of responses really early on were very negative. And I understand when we get to the pitching staff, there's enough to pick apart there. There's enough to hate. But I see enough to love here. And you know, with a we didn't get to the bench on the offensive side, but Kepler, Max Kepler, oh, yeah. Tyler, I, I forgot Naquin, to. And Bradley uh, Zimmer. I loved that. You know, the 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 Cleveland outfield is the worst in baseball yep. almost. And Tyler Naquin, you know, I was been talking to the beat writers down here. Jordan Bastion is down here, and I've been talking to him, and he said Tyler Naquin has an inside shot at center field. Um, I would like to claim some credit on that when we were when we talked about the Cleveland outfield <laughs> right. a while like back. It. I did beat the drum for Tyler Naquin because he's he's ready. He's on the 40 man. He's 25 years old, and he's one of these guys that he's not a stud. But if you're getting that every single day playing time, he can just accumulate a couple bombs here, a couple steals here. Yeah, that, sorry, I got off track on your bench because I that was the part I wanted to talk about. Your offense, Kepler, Naquin, and Zimmer. I really think at least one of those is going to pop for you in a big way. And there. And where other guys actually paid actual dollars in the auction for their upside prospect play, Byron Buxton went for like eighteen bucks. Seventeen bucks till Chris Liss. Seventeen bucks, which is fine, you know. By the projections, he wasn't that far. I was in on him for a little bit, but you know, I much rather have Kepler, who cost me zero, sits on my bench and in fact protects Byung Ho Park a little bit, you know, because if Byung Ho Park is a bust. They're going to reorder that team a little bit, re, you know, move guys around, and all of a sudden Kepler could be the call-up. So, um, that's a great you know, between, call. Between, you know, pairing Park and Kepler, I think was a was a philosophy that makes me feel good. And pairing Saunders and Calabello, it's almost like handcuffs in, in football. And I know that there are some people who are against handcuffs in football because you're using two roster spots to get one. 
But with with uh, that that's football, and for the most part, football is like twelve team leagues, right? There, ten and twelve team, yeah. Yeah, there there's a there's no reason to worry about am I going to get reps? Whereas this is a twelve team ale only league, where one of the reasons you have to one of the things you have to worry about is just getting enough plate appearances. So, you know, handcuffing a position I think is is better here. So, you know, I have Lonnie Chisenhall at corner infield. Well, he's actually an outfielder in in Cleveland. So by by pairing Lonnie Chisenhall with Naquin and Zimmer, I have a I have a, a, a lock, not a lock, but I have a a good hold on a Cleveland outfielder. It's almost like Cleveland OF, you know? Exactly. And, because uh, you protected Chisenhall in case he flames out, then you've got even a better chance for one of your guys to come up. But but betting against Venable and Rajay Davis for the other two spots to get your guys up, I mean it, it's, okay. it, it's a long shot, but there's a chance that like by June you could have the entire Cleveland outfield. Like Naquin could be center and Bradley Zimmer could come up. And, oh, wait, is, is he a center field? Either way, it could still work out because I know Naquin and Zimmer can Naquin's play multiples. A Naquin's a center fielder. So they'd, it'd be Naquin, Chisholm, Zimmer. Um, yeah, but, you know, hopefully Brantley will be up and, you know, there's hopefully it won't come to that. But I think, yeah, I think there's also waves here where Naquin gets a shot at the beginning and he either flames out and then Zimmer gets a shot after him. I mean, there's there's a lot of opportunity. I just saw... A ton of opportunity there and it's kind of like the, with the twins where it seems like the twins are just willing to give young guys on offense a shot as much as they won't do it on pitching yeah exactly it's the direct you know, opposite they, they put miguel sano in there right away i mean they just they, they said sano go you know so i think they're going to give young ho park a really good shot at that that's why i think jm murphy's going to get a lot of playing time and um you know max kepler really turned you know turned a lot of heads last year by showing more power than they expected. He always had the good plate discipline. So, you know, and then, yeah, the one name I want to really point out, I mean, Odor I bought because second base sucks. And, so, and you made sure you got your guy again. That that was a big I part of your middle infield strategy. And I, and I made sure not to harbor any ill will against him <laughs> for, for that early, early part of start. last year. Yeah, so he's a, he's a returner on my team, and I, I, he's below my values, both of them. And second base really, I thought, was terrible. That's why my middle infielder is a shortstop. I mean, I thought second base really fell off. Christian Cologne was drafted. You know, somebody paid money he for Christian Cologne. He was paid for, exactly. I mean, only so, a buck, but, but to your point, um, he, here's what it is with, at second base. You paid 20 for Odor. Kipnis was at 21. Cano, obviously, uh, up there at 28. Altuve at 33. And then from about that point on, it's a pretty big drop. I guess uh, Kinsler at 19, I forgot, G- uh, Pedroia at 17. But, but then you got to jump. We talked on this cast about how we'd rather have Odor. Exactly. We'd rather stay out of Kipnis and Kinsler. Well, you like Kinsler. No, but right? I, I but totally agree with you. didn't want to drop beyond that. They're, they're kind of bland and get Odor's upside at, at one extra dollar. And yeah. one extra dollar than Kinsler, one fewer dollar than Kipnis. Um, that was an easy I, – I liked that a lot. And I'll tell you what. The more I slept on your Marcus Simeon purchase, the more I loved it. Initially, yeah. I thought 15. I was like, wait, that, I thought that was too high. Then I looked at the rest of the costs. No way. Uh, Lindor, 23. Bogarts, 25. Correa, 35. Tulowitzki, 22. Cattell Marte, who I'm notoriously not in on uh, the same as everybody else, was the same $15 that you paid for Marcus Simeon. 
We talked about him on the Friday podcast with the with the tweet uh, with the email that we got. Excuse me, and the power speed combo that he has, the improved defense that we saw from Simeon as the season wore on. We both of us do not think that the defense is going to be a major issue this year. It's going to allow him to focus on on playing, yeah. uh, hitting. Excuse me, and. We've seen some skills from him in the minors that are really impressive. He could be a massive bust out for you. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, my my range on values for him was fourteen and seventeen, and I got him for fifteen. So I'm not I'm not paying for the upside. I paid for the projection when the projection is two fifty, fifteen homers, and ten stolen bases, basically. But what we saw from him last year and what we saw from him in the minors says suggest that there's. Even if there's not a ton more upside in the stolen base category, there is in the power swarm. So I could ease and then batting average because of the strikeout rate going down. So I could easily see him seeing hitting 275 with 18 to 20 homers and 10 to 12 stolen bases, which would I think would would push him into that 20. Twenty-two, twenty-three dollar bit range, and uh, and make that a good buy. So the the your other middle infielder you mentioned briefly, Jose Iglesias, was at seven bucks. He's somebody obviously you're hoping to get some speed from. Last year he got off to a fast start and then kind of tailed off. He did make the All Star game and he ended up hitting three hundred for the season. But I'm talking particularly with the speed. I think he had like six stolen bases really fast, but only ended up eleven for nineteen for the season. But the Tigers are once again talking about how they're going to be committed to to running, running smart this year. I think they've even made a point to say, you know, we can't keep getting caught. Uh, so hopefully. That's somebody like Iglesias who can benefit from that. He does have the speed to do it. I think he does need to be a little bit smarter about his choices. But the the actual uh, speed capability, I don't think, is in question for Jose Iglesias to be able to steal at least 15, if not 20. And the defense guarantees him a spot for, for the Tigers as long as he's healthy. But that's also been elusive for him. Yeah, you know, I think for me, I am banking on maybe 15 to 20 steals from him. The projections are more for 14. That's fine. The, all of the projections, what they're light on is playing time. Exactly. And I'm interested to hear your opinion on this because my opinion is, and this is just opinion, there's, there's not really uh, a ton of, of research behind this, and we don't do this a lot, you know, where we're just sort of dropping opinion. Yeah. But what I would say, it, the, the, the research that does suggest that um, even though past injury predicts future injury, it doesn't do so very strongly. So, you know, that there's that, right? And the younger a player is, the more likely I am to sort of poo-poo past injury issues. Couldn't agree right? more. George Springer is not injury-prone to me yet. Same with Bryce Harper. You know, Bryce Harper is not injury-prone. I mean, people forgot, but he, people thought he was injury-prone. He was never injury-prone to me. So, Jose Iglesias, I know he had those crazy foot, these crazy leg injuries, but I think another year is going to bring another career high in plate appearances yeah and last last year was the shin uh or or two years ago was the shin issue last year when he got hurt and and missed some time in september it was a finger so it's not like that that the the shin issue popped back up and and you know created a bunch of havoc for him so again this is a guy that the tigers are committed to using every single day as long as he's healthy it's really makes a makes a ton of contact tons so I think Probably I think the two eighty spending all sprint talking about how healthy he feels. Two eighty three hundred. You know we've seen him hit three hundred now twice in a row. We didn't think he was going to be much of a hitter, uh, kind of as a collective group coming in to uh, the pros because he didn't do a lot in the minors. But with that contact heavy approach and his speed, he's been able to maintain a three hundred for two straight years. Uh, I guess that's twenty thirteen, twenty 
2015 because he missed 2014. But uh, he's a 287 career guy. Even if he falls back to like 280, he should score runs. That should be a good offense. Um, he Nothing in pop, obviously. You need the speed. But I agree with you. The playing time is the key, and that's what a lot of the projections don't have. So if he bumps up to 150 games and, and 600 plate appearances, all of a sudden that 20 stolen bases is not that hard to fathom. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one thing I wish I had was some middle infield depth. Uh, I don't really have much that I can do if one of those guys goes down. But, but if you're outfield you know, for depth the most part, clicks, then you you're kind trade. of screwed on, on health issues anyway in, in this league. You know, it's not like the waiver wire is going to be much help. And, you know, if one of my outfielders pops, maybe I can trade, you know, an outfielder for a fill-in middle infielder mm-hmm. or something. I mean, uh, I do have some flexibility in that Chisholm's outfielder and, and you know uh, Colabello, Colabello and Chisholm are both infielder, uh, corner infielder outfielders. So um, you know I could trade Chisholm to someone who needs a corner infielder for a fill-in middle infielder. I don't know. There's some position flexibility, just not really around middle infield. So I mean, what you what can you have to make some choices? Exactly. But what, you, I, what I punted in this was a little bit of steals punting. And a little tiny bit of saves punting because I didn't want to pay for a second closer. I don't blame. And you. then and then uh, I punted an ace. But we'll get uh, to that. What do minute. you think of Masahiro Tanaka? I I still love Masahiro Tanaka's talent, so I love him. Let's let's quickly cover the rest of your outfield just so everyone has an idea of what it is. Adam yeah. Jones, twenty four. Chris Davis with a K, 17. Josh Reddick, 15. Anthony Ghost, 6. Lonnie Chisenhall is listed in your outfield on here instead of Colabello, 7. And then your utility, Michael Saunders, 5 bucks. So we've talked about most of those guys. Talk to us about your two Oakland A's, though. you got Chris Davis, 17. Josh Reddick, 15. What do you think about those two guys? Obviously, we talked about the volatility of the Oakland uh, depth chart. I don't think it really applies to these two. If they're healthy, they're playing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the the values on both of them were pretty far and above uh, what I got them for. I mean, the SGP with Mike Podhorter's pr- projection for Chris Davis was $25, and that's why I stayed in all the way to 17 That's hot. And the range between the two on Josh Reddick was 18 to 21 and I got him for 15 So I, I felt pretty good about both of those. I think the, the A's will have a better year than people are expecting I think that guys like Reddick and Davis have power that can get it out of that stadium. Reddick has hit 32 as an A. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Davis had uh, what do I? What was my little stat on him? Uh, Chris Davis had the same exit velocity on balls over 250 feet, which is important because that's a sort of a proxy for angle. Okay. So basically, saying Chris Davis's exit velocity on fly balls was the same as Edwin Encarnacion's. Let me just tell you this, Baseball HQ forecaster. When they do their little comments, sometimes they put a, a, an upside and they just put like up and then they give you a stat. For Chris Davis with a K, upside, 40 bombs. They see in the skills that if everything really clicks for him. Now, this was when he was with Milwaukee, so they might take it down a few notches. Right. Um, with Oakland, but I still his see power the plays possibility everywhere. of 30 home runs. Yeah, there, exactly. Sure. I, I, and a great season could be 35. Yeah. So I, I like I like your outfield again. You've got the, and you've got the three young guys that could click for you: Kepler, Naquin, and, and Bradley Zimmer. One of them could pop and really give you some outfield depth. I think your offense as a whole is good. If I'm going to be short somewhere, I do want to be short in steals because uh, with the weird with the depth of this league, it is tough to trade. And at least if I'm only trading for stolen bases, that's a lot easier. If you're trading for power, how are you going to trade for power in a league like this? Who's going to give up a, a real bopper? Meanwhile, somebody who's really flush with speed 
can make a move. So I, I don't mind you having a little bit of a, a, a shortness there. I think you can overcome. Let's One point I also made, just a, as a side here real quick, is that I think steals are a little bit more available on the waiver wire because if you think about the kind of player that usually gets picked up on the waiver wire, it's usually sort of a defensive replacement. It's, exactly. a, it's like a, a Jose Iglesias type. I mean, not necessarily defensively, but maybe kind of Jose Iglesias type, yeah. where it's a guy who can steal 15 bases and is going to come in and play shortstop because some guy's hurt. And uh, so I think that's the kind of player that's going to become available. A backup center fielder, you know, a fourth outfielder that's basically a defense first guy. Those are the guys I think that are the easiest to find on the wire. And so I think if I can add, you know, five to ten stolen bases off the wire, then I think I can get to sort of 100, 110, 120 um, just by accruing it. And, and Anthony goes, you know, he doesn't really have a competition for playing time right Not now. Not anymore. I mean, Cameron Maben is out, uh, what, two months? Yeah. And, so, and it's not like Maven is is an automatic stud. You know, I like, like Maven coming into this <laughs> year, but that doesn't mean that when he comes back, he's like my job automatically. So there's still a chance. And Ghost got off to a good start last year. If he can kind of get back to that, because he had a really awful finish, um, if I recall. Actually, it was a, a really awful uh, midsummer. I want to say his June and maybe even his July was really bad, but he might have closed a little bit better. But either way. It was an okay season. He Ghost showed some things that can give you some confidence, and the speed was was really uh, instrumental to his fantasy value. 23 stolen bases. He does have the playing time in a good lineup, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was a, a sharp pickup there. But we got to talk about your pitching, obviously. Everyone's waiting for us to talk about that. A lot of these names are not going to surprise folks. <laughs> you, <laughs> you mentioned that you have the one closer and it's Cody Allen at 17 bucks. I love that. I told you guys I'd buy him. <laughs> and and you did and you should have and I think it's a I think it's a great price to be honest. And I don't think that, you know, that closer market was interesting. We talked about it, you know, how deep it was and you know, the the top guys were 21 bucks, Craig Kimbrell, Wade Davis 21 bucks a piece. Somebody like a Zach Britton, who I also love, was exactly 17 as well. So you could have gone either way with them. I think you got the guy on the better club anyway and the guy with the better strikeout track record too. And now Britton added the strikeouts last year, but I think Cleveland's going to be better than Baltimore. So I like your one guy. And then you dabbled in some other bullpens there with Sam Dyson that we already talked about, Liam Hendricks, who you briefly mentioned, that we, we see being big in the Oakland bullpen. Now, we believe in Doolittle, so you're not necessarily – uh, you know, speculating there, but Doolittle's health is still a, a bit of an uncertainty. I have a, I have a little, little vignette from camp that was interesting because I, I went straight to Sean Doolittle to talk to him, and he said, you know, I don't usually sit 93-plus this early in the spring, so I feel really good, and I'm really trusting the split finger. So I was, you know, I was like, ah, oh, this, is, this is good. Uh, I like Sean, and I'm happy for him, and I felt really good. I'm walking upstairs, I do a little tweet, about it, and uh, Susan Slusser said, uh, oh, by the way, the stadium gun only had a 91-92. Oh. Which, you know, isn't enough to make it change completely, but 93-plus early is better than 91-plus early. Absolutely. And it does go back to his, you know, his rotator cuff issues and stuff like that. So, uh, um, But yeah, stadium we, guns aren't Bible this. either. Right, and we've talked about about the tricky situation. I mean, we Doolittle is a is a is a good pitcher that has enough question marks. And Ryan Madsen is maybe the second in command, but he also has question marks. And Liam Hendricks has his own question marks, but he was pretty much fire 
uh, embodied when he when he got to that 95 miles an hour. He's, so he's the new Wade Davis. Yeah, so he's trying. He's been a lot better in the bullpen, and I and I trust the skills there. So, you know, I, I have a story to tell about Masahiro Tanaka though, because you know, what happened for me was that um, I had I wanted to get an ace for 20 bucks, and I would have been willing to maybe stretch that to you know 21 or 22 especially given that I left, you know, at least three bucks on the table. So, you know, there's definitely, there was definitely an argument to be made to stretch to 21 or 22. However, the, the pictures that I all had for $20 went way, way, way more than that. Um, uh, I, I was hoping to get maybe Kluber, Carrasco, Archer, or Hamels. And, oh, nice. Uh, Hamels was the closest. Uh, that, Hamels at 22, I was in on to the very end because I was getting sort of desperate. However, my values have him on a range from 12 to $15. So that's so in- I just, interesting it, because I don't think he's going to go that cheap. Do you have to adjust those up to yes, compensate? Yes, yes, yes. That, that's, that's my failure, quote-unquote. If there's a failure here, it's that I should have adjusted up. However, I was willing to adjust up a little bit, but you know, to, for me to get Hamels, I would have gone to 23 that would have been eight bucks. That would have been uh, taking it's eight like bucks out of this roster would have been tough because I'm really, you know, where does it come from? Yeah. I mean, most of it comes or, from the Colabello pick who then becomes a $1 guy and you still have to figure out another dollar, by the way. And from a Colabello to a $1 bat, oof, that's yeah, tough. I didn't, really didn't want a $1 bat. So, Joe uh, Chris Archer, I think, was the one where maybe uh, it could have happened uh, because my values had him at 21 and I think he went for 24. He did. So Archer was the one where I stayed in the longest and just really got the most angry when it finished. <laughs> but uh, again, uh, for for me to have Archer would have meant for me to 25. That would have still been $10 off this roster. So um, and then the, the one where I really almost lost my lunch was when I put Garrett Richards up for sale and he went for 22. So basically, I looked at my top 12 pitchers, right, by value, and they were all gone. And below, right below Garrett Richards is a name, Masahiro Tanaka. Mm-hmm. And next to his name, it said $20 value uh, by depth charts, $14 value by Podhorzer. Okay. So I said, and guess who's below Tanaka? Verlander, Stroman, Pineda, who I think are definite number twos. Yes. Absolutely. And Tanaka, you can argue, is a two. I, I would listen to you. It's obvious. Obviously, he's my 13th best pitcher with Aroldis Chapman as a reliever above him. So, you know, obviously, he's right there. But he's the, if I do a sniff test, I say ace. And my sniff test says ace. And my values, actually, there's a bit of a, a, a gap there between, um, you know, a $20-slash-$14 uh, $20 Tanaka versus Stroman 11 and 13 Verlander nine and thirteen, so there is a drop there. I mean, I, that's what you look for in tears. Exactly. And where does it, for where me does it cr- to crest, for me to get him at fifteen, just that was one of my fist pumps. Now, the depth charts have him at one hundred ninety-five innings. You know, we know, we know that there's a question on that. And to pair him with Drew Smiley, who has his own question marks, is putting risk on top of risk. But you know what? I'm tired of, of worrying about who's going to get hurt. I'm just because we, we don't know. Because Strowman was not going to get hurt last exactly. year. Exactly. An amazing pitcher in his prime, just super athletic. Everything looked good. 
and then Strowman fell apart. So what am I supposed to do? We, we don't know. And you paid 30 bucks for them. And honestly, they both have tremendous upside. I was di- deep diving Smiley the other day and just really impressed with what he's done. I did not quite realize the magnitude of the numbers he's put up. Now, they've been short samples because of the injuries. And I understand that that's kind of the, the, the issue with him. But, man, for you to get both those guys at 15, you need one of them to basically stay healthy and, and be your ace. I think you're going to get that. I really like both of those guys at 15 bucks after you kind of lost out on that first run. That's not a bad place to go. And then, you know, we, we've, we sang the praises of Kevin Gaussman a million times on this show. So, you know, I love that at 10 bucks. You got your boy Trevor Bauer at seven. Drew Hutchison at three, who we, who we discussed earlier. You might have preferred Matt Moore, but that's more of a, a timing mechani- mechanism than yeah. it is anything that you could say you had the actual option of both. And I still like Hutchison at three. There's no reason he can't build on on some of the hype that we had for him coming into last year. There There is no clear reason why he fell apart last year. I don't think it's not like everything in his skills profile fell apart and he was the worst pitcher ever. So I do still hold out some hope for Drew Hutchison, particularly at three this, bucks. This spring he's missing low instead of missing high, which I think is, is part of what's been his problem in the past is he misses high and get a hit for home runs. Um, I mean, yep. he's, he's got a home run problem. So missing low is something I like. Also, Jesse Chavez to me is the ultimate swing man. Absolutely. And, I think that even his acquiring team would have thought him as such. So it wouldn't it's not going to take a coup for Drew Hutchinson to be the fifth starter and Jesse Chavez to be in the pen, especially if you know Hutchinson has a good spring and they say, okay, Chavez, you know, we're going to start in you know sort of as our sixth guy and you're going to start in the pen, but we're going to try and keep you stretched out, There's you a, know. So you sorry, know. there's a pretty clear uh, breaking point for for Chavez at 100 innings these last two seasons yeah. that he's been a starter. He's been really good for 100 innings, and then pedestrian to awful for the remainder in these last two seasons. So yeah, I, I think honestly, what they really should do if they, if they like Chavez that much, they should probably start him in the in the bullpen and then bring him in mid season, Chris Medlin style, and get those 100 innings in the summer. Uh, or maybe even late summer and the playoffs if they like him that much. Because I do think that Chavez is good for you know a, a good chunk of 12 to 15 starts, but not the whole season. So Hutchison does have daylight. And plus Aaron and, Sanchez is no stud. Like We haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think he's a starting pitcher personally. So uh, And then on top of that, I like Chris Bassett actually more for safety in terms of I think he Chris Bassett is, is going to be a starting pitcher in that rotation. Yes. And so to have Drew Hutchinson – be there and Ruanus Elias, I've got basically I'm asking for two one of these six fifth starter guys to take the role. Exactly. And uh and you know uh, you, you, people have seen these players on my team before. Bauer and Gossman have been on my teams before. And again what I just try to do is not I didn't focus on them because I liked them in the past. I liked them for new and different reasons, but I also didn't want to hate them because they were on bad teams for me in the past. And in the meantime, instead of being higher up on my in my rotation, you know, in the past, they, you know, Trevor Bauer was. I think I paid more for him last year, or or in the end of the year, he was like my ace because uh, my rotation has fallen apart so much. What I want from him in this slot is innings, and I want him to just cut his ERA down to 390 or something, and and give me innings and strikeouts, and he can be my volume guy to kind of offset whatever 15-day vacations Tanaka and Smiley have to take. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wanted to have a mix of styles and approaches and parks and upside and downside and injury risk. So I think 
you know, really, there's there's all sorts of different reasons you can you can take the staff and say it sucks and it's full of, of holes. But it, it didn't cost much. It might have one or two aces on it. It might have a couple young guys that are going to be better than they should be. And it has it definitely has an ace reliever on it. So hey, those are all the things I wanted to have going in. Yeah, and I think he did a good job of acquiring it. I know it's a not a star-studded rotation because you didn't get those, uh, you know, that front liner with Archer. But honestly, in an only league, I'm I'm okay with that. I think you uh, really solidified your offense, got guys who can really pop for you on the pitching staff, and then like you said, that that ace closer. And I I already raved over your your reserve bench. So I think you you really got a shot here. You got a, you got a team to contend with. We covered some of the players that you you missed on. What did you think were some of the best values at large outside of your team? Prices that you looked at and said, you know what? I would have liked that, but uh, good on that guy for getting him. I wish I'd gotten in on the DHs. One of the things that we I think we even talked about it in the in the podcast was that I I played a DH. I looked at the DH values by one uh, by SGP versus by. Uh, z-score method mm-hmm. and that the the dhs were undervalued a lot of them did go for less than the value i saw by sgp so evan gaddis for 12 dollars to laura michaels i think was a good buy they came um, out early with the dhs i think a lot of the room realized that you know there's so many and this was yeah. something that we talked about actually all the way back in november that there were going to be so many dh only guys that you don't have to be afraid because a lot of teams are going to fill it up um, and I think the auction said, hey, let's let's see. Let's put these guys to the test right away and start throwing these guys out. I want to say in the first round, like three or four of them came out, including Billy Butler. Yeah. Billy Butler for two, I think is interesting. He's a little bit better than a dollar player. So that's a good one. But uh, I, 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 I zoom in on Evan Gaddis again. He's another sort of he's not I don't know. I think he's probably older than 29, but he's not old as dirt as, you know, sort of Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz and. Those guys where they they actually cost more money and were had that risk of being super old. He's twenty nine so, exactly. Evan Gaddison. Yes. Oh my god. He would have fit your. He would have fit your team. Uh, by the way, twenty nine strategy. Cole Bello is actually older. He, he's he's your he's your elder statesman. He's thirty two. So yeah. he is the guy that everyone in your clubhouse looks up to. He's the dad. <laughs> the guy with the least amount of playing time. But he's also the guy who never time. plays. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see here. What else do I like? Um, Jerickson Profar went in the reserve to somebody, I think. See, I'm, I'm kind of surprised uh, at that. I would have thought that he had gone maybe like two bucks, but you're right. He went. And I don't know if these are in order. Um, actually, never mind. They're, they're in alphabetical order. I was going to say if they're in order of round and he went no, sixth Profar round. No, Profar went never right ahead of Max Kepler. Yeah, yeah, that, so, that makes sense. Uh, I didn't have a shot at Profar because it's a snake draft. Okay. But uh, I took uh, I took Kepler right after Profar, but I just I still think – even in a snake draft, you can give a guy a what's up for, you know, buying a guy that should have gone Definitely. in the uh, in the in the in the actual auction. To that point, uh, Pedro, Pedro Alvarez yeah, also there in you the go. reserve round. Um, you know, somebody should have put a dollar on him for sure. So I mean, that I, I think the Colton Lopez have a pretty good team in that. You know, they have Robinson Cano, Edwin Encarnacion, and Carlos Gomez on one team, and you know, Paul Hamels, Garrett Richards, Aroldis Chapman. They have a real hole in that outfield. I mean, yep. uh, I, I think, you know, Kevin Pillar, Joey Ricard, Will Venable, uh, that's three outfield slots right there. That's really bad. I like I Pillar. Mean, Those last Pilar's two are bad. Pillar is okay, but $18? I mean, and then Ricard and Venable uh, for $3 combined. I mean, that you, you, I have to 
I'm giving them credit. It's a good team. You have to make choices, and that was that was their choice. Uh, their their catching situation with Chirinos and Fegley is also iffy, they, and that was another choice they made. But they have some real studs, and they you know, I went toe to toe with pitches. them. Yeah, I went toe to toe with them on Kiermaier. I was with them with Edwin Encarnacion. I should have maybe gone to 31 on Encarnacion, but you know, at a, as a first baseman versus 27 for Frazier at third, I felt okay about that. Totally agree. And um, you know, and their pitching staff is is better. I mean, they took Hamels from me. Uh, they took Garrett Richards from me. They got two ace types that are better than my two ace types. They took Kyle Gibson from me. I wanted to pay five dollars for Kyle Gibson. Uh, and they got him for six. Did they I take a Rasmo from you? I like that. They too. took a Rasmo from me. I wanted him for $5, and they took him for six. Uh, they listened to this podcast <laughs> at least at least on the way in to ALA. I don't know if they're going to listen to this one. But uh, they listened to this podcast, and they looked at me when they made the Nicholas Tropiano pick. <laughs> they said that they were going to make my life uh, miserable by picking Nicholas Tropiano, and I really That's was just hoping Tropiano would come back to me. And maybe I should have taken Tropiano over Kepler, but... Kepler was just too sexy for me, especially as a German. I agree. I agree. Um, you have that connection with. with I like Alex Colomay as one of my one dollar relievers. So you know, I like Trevor May. So they, they, I think they did really good. I hate Martin Perez, um, um, and uh, I'm trying to. They got Nate, Nate Jones and Mike Morin in the in reserve rounds. So I, I like those guys. And Shane Green was a, a was a reserve round pick for me. So they. Uh, they say that they trust they trust me on pitching, and so they basically just stole a lot of pitching picks from me. Well, that's good. I mean, it's a it, it, at least I had to pay in a dollar more than I would pay. Yeah, right? it, it, it's flattery, <laughs> but they also uh, ravaged you of guys you want. Yeah, I think they put together a good crew. I don't look across any of these teams and say, "Wow, that's the clear." Uh, clear bottom of the heap. It, it, what a tough room. I, I do not envy you having to navigate that room with, with all those sharks. A lot of good crews out there. It's going to be a good league. We'll be following it all year long. You've got to actually go ahead and get ready for Tout Wars Mix, which I, I assume will be on uh, Sirius XM tonight if people want to listen to it. I know I'll be following it while I do a, a uh, Rotowire um, uh, league. Like, what, what, what am I trying to say? Like, it, it's our own league of Rotowire people, whatever. Anyway, I'll be doing that tonight. You'll be doing that draft. We will be back Friday, and we'll be talking camp. Everything that you're learning from camp. Basically, kind of a notebook dump. You just tell me what you're learning, guys you want to talk about, stories that you've got, and we're going to go crazy for it. So uh, until then, Ian. Well, I've got the I've got the uh, the fifth pick today. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about I forgot. We got to talk about mixed. So you got, and I think that's relevant to a lot of people who ended pick. up with the, the the pick right on the outside of what's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a dirty pick because there's a there's a consensus four pack, and however you want to put them in order, that's up to you. But for the most part, it's Kershaw, Harper, uh, Trout, and Goldschmidt in some order for just about everybody. So you're gonna miss out on that very likely, and you're gonna be stuck with that very difficult decision of five. And who are you looking at? Well, let's see here. 15 teams, OBP. We're running the calculator uh, again just to – because earlier I had it on 12 teams. So uh, 15 teams, OBP, and obviously the first ones are Trout, Harper, Goldschmidt. So that's that's easy. And then Kershaw is probably going to go in there. So that's that's four. The, the choices for me are Rizzo and Stanton. For me, McCutcheon is not a great choice. I just I, – I don't really – I don't know. I mean, it's nice to get a little bit of steals, but the steals just keep going down every year for him. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that. And then there's uh, Schwarber 
and Posey are, are kind of right there too, but I'm, I'm not going to go to a catcher that quickly. So the real question for me is Rizzo or Stanton. And um, I think the calculus that you have to do at that point then is to try to get an idea of what might be available to you in the second round. Because if it's another first baseman, you don't really want to have Rizzo. I mean, you could take him at corner, you know, if it was in Canarcion or Abreu, but that's, you know, that's tough. It, it would be better to go, you know, Stanton Abreu, I think, than maybe Rizzo and Pollock or Charlie Blackman or, or whoever's supposed to, Pollock won't be there, um, you know, something like that. So who do you think could make it to you back in that second round? I mean, I think that's the, that's the question. The, the, either I pair Stanton with Abreu or Encarnacion, which uh, those are the two best uh, corner infielders available around 20. Or I pair uh, Rizzo with uh, Hayward, Blackman, Marte, or Springer. But there's a glut of outfielders that comes uh, comes down there, and I don't see them really separating from each other. So, you know, I could then in the third round maybe get one of Hayward, Blackman, Marte, Springer, Puig, J.D. Martinez, Pollock, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that one of those guys will, will fall to the third round. And, um, you know... I, I'm really looking hard at Edwin Encarnacion as being a really great pair with Stanton. I mean, that's just a ton of power right there. He's so good. Uh, in, a, in a league. And I know it's not a lot of five-category goodness, but I do think that there are, you know, especially when you saw those other names I was talking about, Puig, I think there's more like 15-15, 20-15, uh, you know, guys with 25 homers and 10 steals. Fully I think agree. there's going to be ways for me to, like, you know, supplement the steals and, and, uh, and, you know, you know, get my big boppers early and then, you know, just sort of supplement with the rest of them. So I think, um, I doubt this will even get posted in time. If it does get posted in time, um, I'm sorry to tell you, you're, you can scoop me if you like, but, uh, probably going Stanton and Edwin Encarnacion, just going for the power gambit. I I, I like it. I like it. Um, Yeah. No one hit any of those guys in the face, please. Yeah, please do not hit them in the face. Do (laughs) do not uh, mess with Encarnacion's back or whatever was was bothering him last year. Let those two guys play and hit, you know, 80 home runs at least. I think that would Mm -hmm. be great. Um, Yeah, it will be up in time, but uh, they're not going to be able to listen to it. Everyone's doing their prep right now, including Colton and the Wolfman, I think. Or no, I actually think... um, I think Bobby Colton is the one. They're they're actually doing a show. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be the ones covering doing a show during the moment. So yeah, during it. Yeah, they'll get a chance to talk about your picks, and they'll probably, as they're talking about your team, point out how they trumped you, and they'll revel in it. Believe me, they they'll make no <laughs> bones about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they're gonna make me talk about labor. Let's for tell sure. you what happened on Saturday night when we took this picture from Eno, this picture from Eno, and this picture from Eno. So good luck yeah. with that. Hopefully you kill it tonight. We'll be following it on Twitter for sure. We'll talk a little bit about it on Friday as well as get into all your camp stuff. Until then, keep having fun out in Arizona, and we'll talk in a few days. That's right. Thanks for listening.